The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Back in the late 80s, back in the early 90s, poetry mattered to me and my friends a lot. Charles Bukowski was one of our heroes. The Beats, Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, uh, Frank O'Hara, you know, and then we would get into E.E. Cummings and all of them. I don't know. I'm not a poetry expert. Emily Dickinson, she's pretty cool. Uh, There's some other ones in there. I I love poetry. It was... uh, that one guy that sold insurance, Wallace Stevens, or was he a doctor? And then there's other guys. This next guest knows more than I do about this subject. But I write poetry, and it used to be a big deal in pop culture. Uh, we dreamed of, you know, we all, like, loved the stories of Charles Bukowski and how he was, like, uh, you know, his whole character and everything. And all the beats, like I said. It was Gregory Curso, uh, Coney Island of the Mind. Who wrote that one? Lawrence Ferlinghetti. You know, these were pop stars back in the day. Does poetry matter anymore, though? Does this same thing still exist? Our next guest will be able to tell us if it does and to what degree it does. Mark Eleveld is the editor of the best-selling The Spoken Word Revolution series. He is the publisher at EM Press. I think they published one of my poetry books. It's fantastic. Also a teacher, Eleveld was Inspirational Teacher of the Year, awarded by the University of Chicago, was in the selection committee for the Illinois Poet Laureate in 2020. That's funny. I never uh, got suggested to be the Illinois Poet Laureate, though. I mean, we could have faked it, Mark. You could have said I lived in... Never mind. Anyway, he produced the Poetry Jam with President Obama at the White House and was a field producer for CNN's Chicagoland. He's here with us now. He's loud. He's proud. Mark Eleveld, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Joe. Old thanks for friend. having me on, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, man. So as a poet, as somebody who runs a publishing company that uh, you know puts out books of poetry, as somebody who's uh, got poetry surrounding their life and as a center focus of their life. Is poetry as important as it was in those days of yore I was talking about? Was that because I was a younger generation? Are there younger generations now that still sort of worship these poetry figures, or is that a thing of the past? Well, I, I think that that's still true. Um, you've got it at the academic levels, of course, because it's an easy entrance into kind of creating a cool scene for kids and students to start reading and introduce them to, like you just said, Chuck Bukowski and uh, and Gregory Corso and the Beats. Like there's a lived lifestyle and art that goes with the writing hand in hand. And sometimes in the classroom, the biography of the poet is is just as important to the kids and as interesting as the work itself. But we used to say that everybody's got a poem in them. And that at some capacity, everybody writes down some thoughts or memoirs or diaries or poems. And then the next thing is to find a place that if you're comfortable, if you want to read it out loud. And so I come in in 1991 with Mark Smith at the Green Mill Jazz Lounge in Chicago in Uptown on Lawrence and Broadway. You you had a famous red hat that you played there one night when you were promoting the your poetry book for us. And Mark Smith started the poetry slams like he's the guy like. He went to a poetry reading in 1984 in Oak Park, Illinois, 
Uh, he thought it was boring. He got up and did a performance and got one person to clap. One person. And it changed his life. And he knew forever that he wanted to start these communities and these scenes. And he started a show in 1986 at the Get Me High Lounge. And then he was at the Green Mill Jazz Lounge by 1986. Uh, that show started rocking and rolling like lines out the door at the Green Mill. No shit like uh, Reggie Gibson showing up and people asking if they could get in and and just lines. And, and you know the Green Mill, Joe. It's the Riviera's right there. The Aragon's right there. So all these people come in to see poetry and to see poetry shows. It was like a real thing. Um, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal wrote a couple articles on Mark Smith's show. Bob Holman from New York came down saw the show, went back, and reopened the New Eureka Poet Cafe using the model of the Poetry Slam. And then from there, Gary Glazner in San Francisco, next to Kerouac Alley, uh, he came to one of the shows, and then they started a National Poetry Slam, and the thing just started popping, just started popping. So you had these creation of communities, you had these writers that now had access to areas that they could go and perform their work, they could learn how to perform, they could learn how to write. And this national literary movement, which probably is the greatest in our lifetime, just like skyrocketed. My very, very good friend, Mark Smith, uh, he's been doing this for 40 years now. He just got back uh, from Portugal, Brazil, and tours France. And he's overseas six months out of the year doing performances and kind of teaching the philosophies of Poetry Slam and such. But um, it's intermingled, Joe. It's like... It's writing, it's the books that you're publishing, it's meeting all these cool people. Um, and to answer your question, I was working on a podcast yesterday with Mark in Chicago, right across from Big Star Tacos, where we had some tacos afterwards. And when I got home, my daughter showed me um, on TikTok a group piece from a spoken word deal, and it had a million hits. And I'm not really very smart on social media stuff, but... A million hits is a million hits, so it seems like somebody's watching it, somebody's listening to it still. So um, it's important in my life. I know it's important in your life, and I know students still gravitate towards it. Yeah, it's interesting. I love that story. I love that one person clapped, and that was enough for him because I love a story about somebody prevailing past resistance and stubbornly going towards their dream against all odds and then and then creating something that ends up being a line out the door movement that spreads across the world stories like that you know are are just inspiring for everyone and and you think with poetry too like it would be it's such a great medium for something like TikTok. And and I confess I haven't really explored like spoken word poetry on TikTok. I'm sure there's tons of it and I'm sure some of it's really successful. Um so because it seems like that format would be really good for poetry. But that said, it hasn't come across my algorithm on its own. I don't spend much time on poetry, but I don't see a lot of people on Instagram. I, I mean uh Andrea Gibbon, I see her. She's a poet that does yeah. stuff on social media. And I interviewed her for my podcast back in the day. But, you know, what What do you think of, like, the X world we live in now, Twitter? I mean, because in a way, the tweet is maybe, you know, it's not a poem, certainly. But um, even someone like Jordan Peterson is starting to do line breaks. They even tell you, like, if you see Andrew Tate's po uh, poems, uh, tweets, they're 
broken lines because that sort of gets your attention easier and it's easier for people to read. I mean, do you think there's any correlation with X and and the Twitter world we live in and and poetry? Do you think poetry has a place there? Yeah, um, you know the 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 message is the medium, right? I mean that they taught us that a while ago. Um, the thing about so I got to do those spoken word revolution books because the publisher that I did those for, she did a book called Poetry Speaks, which is like a a big coffee table book. And she had three CDs in there of the poets reciting and performing the work. There's um, Walt Whitman, famously recorded by Edison, is in there. And she's got Langston Hughes in there. And that thing sold like 100,000 copies. So I heard her name's Dominique Rocca. She's the fifth largest publisher in the country and, and the biggest female publisher in the country. She's she's her own rock and roll star. Um, but when I pitched doing the spoken word books because of that community thing like you could there were hundreds of poets that were clock that were couch surfing and and making livings and and going from new york to chicago to michigan to like i mean it's the first time in my recollection that poets were gigging just like a rock star like yourself and and singer songwriters like that was they had their set they were entertainers um but i bring this up because that Poetry Speaks book did so well that she allowed me to do my books. Um, and then when we, I was working with her, and she's at the front of all this kind of stuff. Um, she'd be a good interview for you, too. But she's told me that there was no um, formula for social media to equivalent to sales of books. Um, so she did she did this thing for Poetry Speaks where she said, Poetry the Word. Now I'm dating myself. This would be like 2003. Um, but poetry as a word is Googled. It's one of the top 10 words Googled per day. So sitting behind your computer, kids or adults or whomever, throwing the word poetry in there and, and, and Google throwing stuff back at them. Um, and then so my books did well. And then I remember when you and I were hanging out and we were on WGN. And you, we, every time you came through Chicago, we did like a whirlwind tour stuff. Remember meeting Lynn Bramer at WXRT, our good friend? Mm -hmm. And then when you did the Lou album, Tony Fitzpatrick uh, gave you some art for one of the for one of the singles and such. But if you remember, um, this stuck with me because you had two breaks on WGN and then like, you know, a, a full song kind of thing. And we were talking about kind of like what promotion means and, and how to go about getting your songs in front of more people. And you had made the comment to me that, how many times had you been on Letterman? F 14 times? No, six. Six. And was there ever a spike in record sales that followed going on six times? Mitch Hedberg has a joke. <laughs> Mitch Hedberg, the great comedian, has a joke saying, I've never had anyone say, hey, I saw you on Letterman. It's more likely that somebody would come up to him and say, hey, I saw you on, at the supermarket. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I'm butchering his joke of all the humor. It's great when he tells it. But I, I don't know, Mark. I'm sure there is a spike. If you have a successful Letterman performance, it's going to spike a little bit. I'm sure it does. But it's not what you think it would be. And it's not like back in the day when a comedian would go to Johnny Carson and every house was tuned into Johnny Carson. And so the next day that comedian was a household name. 
you know obviously yeah. the sort of the means of promotion are scattered all over the place now so you just don't have that sort of uh you know coming together of the collective consciousness towards somebody's vision and work i think maybe nirvana was the last example of a band going sort of like beetle huge that everyone knew about and then from there it's scattered further and further in the internet and never never will return i think well i mean i don't know taylor swift maybe i'm wrong you know it's just yeah. different now yeah but i think one of the so to go back to the original question um i i don't know if if the medium is dictating like new forms and new styles be interesting i i, I can't speak very smartly to that intelligently but um i there's more of it like you said that there's a lot of it out there and what I think some of the stuff that social media does not allow for, or I, I guess I got to figure out what it means a little bit closer, but like, so when you, when you hit Joe, I mean, you, you were curated by Peter Gabriel and Lou Reed. You had some experts in your field who came and said, oh boy, he's kind of good at what he does. When you throw everything on line like this, you know, it's a double-edged sword because I can say to a 16-year-old student, hey, here's a platform that you can go and say anything that you want to say. But at the same time, because I'm the teacher and the editor, I said, you know, make sure it's good, though. And so sometimes you lose some of that curation um, when you have so much democratic access to everything. I guess it weeds itself out in some capacity. But make sure it's good, though, is probably I, I would have to push back on that advice because no young poet is gonna be good nobody's good when they first start anything they might get lucky and have a couple good things if they have like a lot of raw talent but what i think the name of the game with social media or starting anything a youtube channel or a twitter or whatever it is is you're gonna not be good at it even if you've been good at other things in your past you're gonna be bad at these things and the only way to get good is to is to continually do doing it persistently otherwise you just never get good so you, what i would say is put yourself out there and don't worry about whether you're good or not understand that you'll be good probably 10 years from now and, and that's uh do you know a lot of people that that's that's fantastic advice uh do you, are there does that weed itself out then the then the it's just the survival the people that get to the 10 years you know absolutely yeah they evolve and they develop and they grow a fan base and and they just do it they per persist you know there's a lot of i mean i'm in that camp right now i mean okay with music i'm quite confident i've put out a bunch of records uh if i put out a song i'm not that concerned um what are people gonna think or this that and the other thing maybe i should be more concerned but <laughs> I kind of understand that it's going to innately be good because I've pursued this craft for 30 years. So not everyone's going to be the best song I've ever done, but they're all going to have a certain amount of quality. But there's other goals I have. Like I told you I was writing a book and uh, when you called me the other day or uh, I called you off of a text. But, um, you know, I was that's checking a in. new I like pursuit you. for me. You know, like I um even us working together and you putting out a book of my poetry that felt like vulnerable to me as well and it's that is still a big goal and dream of mine that is sort of 
been left on the table. I've I've had a lot of attempts at writing stuff and and long form stuff, but I haven't like sort of published a bunch of books yet. And I think I have those in me to do. Um, so for me, it's overcoming that fear that, oh, this will be naive on some levels or won't be good on every level. And you have to be okay with that and pursue it anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, you do have, and it's earned and you've worked very hard at it, but you, you are always one of the most talented people in the room, Joe. I, I've seen you and I've seen you go. And I don't think that that's innate. I think, I think you worked at that really hard and, you know, and you you have an understanding of art and entertainment and showmanship and performance that a lot of this social media stuff doesn't allow for. And I'm not saying, yeah, I agree with you. Go publish anything you want and go find and curate your own audience and get really good at it. But, um, you know, the democratization of, of social media and, and there's just a lot out there. <laughs> You know, if 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 a student comes up to me and I'm I'm sitting at my desk and I've got 150 high school students that I'm trying to teach how to how to uh, write or find their own voice or even just help them get to class on time on occasion, um, it's a large task. It's it's like it's more than just hey let's let's look at this cool three minute poem. You know, it's because you don't I don't know if if a if uh, Keisha comes up to me and shows me something and I don't like it. I can't just tell her I don't like it because if she likes it, I don't want to crush her dreams. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you should try to find a way to encourage a young creative, you know, I mean, and yeah, it's, it's overwhelmed by content clearly, but it's not overwhelmed by people persistently following a dream and being able to overcome the ambivalence and even the sort of, disparaging words uh, of the world they're in it, you know that will separate the wheat from the chaff i guess you know so it's and the, the fact of the matter is we're living in this creator economy we're living in this sort of economy of attention and you know we all have the facilities to put our, our voices and our work out there um the only thing standing in our way is our fear of doing that and knowing that it's not going to be received by like, you know, you're, you're, you're going to work very hard for a very long time on things and people will not celebrate you. And you'll see reflections of other people getting celebrated and other people just from their first attempt will go viral and have massive success. And you'll be comparing yourself to all those people. That's the trick of overcoming all that ambivalence and stuff. But I mean, you're in the field of poetry and publishing poetry books. So I'm assuming that you're well-versed in all this. Let me take a quick break and we'll be right back with Mark right after these words on these uh, at, on TNT. TNT's Bruce de Torres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase man-made pandemics by Merrill Nass. Just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics. How to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare. How to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics. And whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help the population. populations. We start with the history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the COVID pandemic. 
eventually arriving at plans to protect the future. She didn't put protect in quotes, but I just did verbally. World Stage and Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Coming in hot with Mark Elaveld, who not only publishes poetry and and, uh, is huge in Chicago's poetry scene and spoken word poetry. And I also want to ask you about the difference between slam poetry and poetry that's on the page because there is a a real difference there but first i want to talk about your other gig which is teaching ap english to high school students in chicago and dealing with uh the violence in that particular society and the fact that you've had some strange run-ins recently talk about what happened uh, in your classroom arc um when we came back and and this is i'm sure you've talked about this extensively when the students came back from covid things were not okay um there was a a mental disconnect of some really fundamental uh basic things and and in education i've been i've been teaching high school now for 27 years um kind of the root of this is cell phones in the in the classroom in 2013 laptops there's not a lot of books being passed around amongst students anymore. Um, everything's like you walk past the classroom and it's kind of like every kid's just staring at a laptop and a teacher's kind of going around and prodding them and all this kind of stuff. So it, it's it's been a different environment with some of the stuff we've already talked about with social media and then access to the laptops and the phones. And then COVID came and there was just a mental disconnect between authority and, and teachers and uh, students and students who hadn't seen each other for two years in person um, had a lot of angst social media wise against each other. And so they were using coming back to high school and schools to fight. So somebody had said something about somebody, they would make a plan. They would come to school, they'd get on their phone, they would say, meet me at the bathroom at 1230. And then they would go fight. And these fights, I don't know if you've seen the Chicago stuff with the, the the trending, it's called, where groups of teenagers show up, thousands of them, like thousands, thousands, and they're jumping on cars and breaking stuff, and the cops are standing there. It's And it's just um, large-scale anarchy, which a younger Mark would have enjoyed some of that stuff, but um, my job of trying to keep kids safe so in, in my little instance, we had 180 fights in two weeks, which we had never had, not to that degree, nothing like this. And that quite literally meant like, if my door was open to my English classroom trying to teach AP language and composition and, and read Mark Twain or something, the security guards, the principal, people would be running past the door constantly nonstop. I've never taught with my door closed. And I had to 
to close it because it was just a distraction because the kids would just be staring at what was going on. Um, so yeah, long story short, I, I was involved with um, a student who I didn't know it was a student um, at the time even, and they were going after a teacher who I had known for 17 years, a female teacher. Teacher asked me for help. I tried to help as best I can to de-escalate de stuff. And um, I thought everything was fine. I spoke to all the authority people in my building who I've known for 20 plus years. And um, and then out of nowhere, like 12 days later, I was, I was put on the carpet and... Uh, um, they essentially, I, they fired me more or less after 22 years of being there and, and receiving over 25 awards from the school boards and universities. And that brought Tyamba Jess a month after you won the Pulitzer Prize to the school and worked with the kids and such. So um, the union worked hard. It's a Chicago, so it's a union town. The, the unions are pretty powerful amongst the teachers, we thought. And they gave their side of everything and, uh, I, in my personal and professional life, have zero record. I've never been arrested for anything. Uh, I've never, uh, nothing, clean record. I'm a veteran. I've got three children of my own. I've been married for almost, you know, I've been with her for 30 years, but we've been married 21, 22. I mean, you know me. I'm a pretty docile guy in, in most of this. Um, so it was shocking, and it was life-changing. And uh, uh, it was awful. It's been awful. And my family has been there for me all the way. And, and uh, the environment of teaching, when if, if you go and you if you listen to any teachers talking about teaching, go give them a hug, help them. <laughs> and it's not they've they've pitted, they've made it these like authority. What it what used to be like a rebel with a cause kind of thing in the high school. That's not what this is. This is like um, it's very, very violent. And uh mm. You're trying to protect yourself, you know. So that's what I've been going through for two years. Now, did you get arrested or you just got fired? I mean, was there any sort of legal action taken against you? And I'm, and I'm assuming what happened, and, 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 you know, I know you have to speak vaguely about this, and I can appreciate that. But I'm, what I'm assuming happened is you had to physically sort of apprehend this student that you didn't even know was a student, and you were protecting a female teacher. Uh, is that sort of the nuts and bolts of it yeah i mean um yeah yes but um i i i'm the one that i've talked there's no arrest of any kind there's no uh there's no doctors involved or um it's just there's uh, a lot of stereotypes that uh came out in discussion and it, the people that i worked for for 20 Oh, I Plus, see. It became a racial issue. It did, yeah. Ugh. So, yeah, I'm, Man, I'm... I mean, and and you probably yeah. Every we live in this world that's so indoctrinated and fear based at this point towards anything or even like defending. So, uh, you know, a so-called white man in this situation. You know. Um, that did you have anybody come to your aid or any any like colleagues support you publicly um I, it's been very very quiet um i'm still going through a lot of it so like you said i'm talking in vagaries here um 
just I'll just the way I'll speak to the race thing very quickly is when I was 17, I joined the military. I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. We were there were four white guys from Chicago and every everybody else in the 200 size platoon was pretty much Southern black and Latino. I, I never had any any issues. I've always taught in high need school. So it's always been for me, it's been like a third Latino, a third black and a third white. Mark, the first... you don't have to t explain that you're not a racist. I know no, you're I not do. a racist. No, I do. I mean, that's but but I mean, I have to. It's, it's it's insane. The first black president invited me five months after he was elected to the White House to talk about education, and this is the only thing that these people want to talk about. It's insane. Right. It's insane. Well, well as someone who um, you know has recently been so-called canceled and got smeared publicly and all the rest of it for, you know, questioning the COVID jab and all that. Uh, there's, there's life at the other side of it. And these things are really painful to go through. I'm glad your family is stuck with you, but I, I will say that for some reason, these things, uh, they're, they're humbling events and to be humbled is no bad thing, even though it's trying. And, and, I mean, you already told me you got a major book deal recently, and and some and a great in financial influx. So I mean, there you go. There's the perfect example of that. Not to like, not that it takes away the pain of this situation, but um, I'm wondering, has it made you explore your own sort of connection with spirituality and your own connection with forgiveness, or has this embittered you and made you more angry? It's, um, I would love to do the first things you were talking about. I would love to, I've, everyone, I've, I've had such good friends and, and good, uh, support. You know, where the support came from, Joe was, was from more than the teaching area. It came from the, the arts and the poets themselves and, and, uh, the artist community that I've been around for a very, very long time. I saw, I saw my first, uh, gay wedding in 1991 at, at, at the Green Mill Jazz Lounge. And you know, you know, when you're amongst um, people of open minds and you can have conversations that are much different than it's so hard when everything is so guarded. Um, I, I haven't, I am, in, I am angry. I'm very, very angry. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to lose that yet, but um, I do know, and you're a hundred percent right, if not, for this than the very, very good things that have happened fairly recent. I'm, I'm going to ghost write a book and I've got a bunch of other stuff kind of coming up. It, this stuff would not have happened if for, not for that. So there is a spiritual component to it. I don't understand it yet. There is uh, something of having to let go. I don't know how to do that yet. I am on guard. I feel like 100% of the time, you know, um, my, my base of friends has gotten smaller as as you know i think um but my god the friends that i do have i mean if if there is something spiritual from this it is those relationships that that have gotten even even closer and tighter through all of this you know that i am thankful for for sure but i am angry. i didn't I know you were going through this man if, if it's any consolation i like you more now and i liked you plenty before <laughs> because I like when people go through these trying times because I know that they are beneficial. And and I mean, I've really recently went through a lot of this sort of stuff that was pretty no nonsense in my own world too. 
And it has had a great effect on me personally. That's not really yet reflected necessarily in terms of my music career per se, or, you know, my ability to, you know, tour or whatever and those things. But in terms of developing um, other aspects of myself and other and other formats to, to create that are going to help me sort of evolve into, you know, older age with vitality rather than just like, say I was just going along status quo as everything that was working the way it was kind of working. I mean, I, I would, I would be not nearly, I would not have grown nearly as much as I have grown. And in terms of the anger, you need to, and well, I mean, I shouldn't say you need to and, and give you sort of unasked for advice, but Take I will up. say this anger is absolute poison and it's absolute poison within your own soul. And so the work of Ho'oponopono prayer, which is, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you is, is something that's completely self-empowerment. So when you've been betrayed by a situation in your life, you realize on a deep spiritual level, everything that happens in your field of consciousness, somehow you you brought into it. And even though this situation is unfair, and I know you, so I know it's unfair on the surface, on some level, it's not helpful for you to feel like you've been treated unfairly and are, and put yourself in the position of a victim, even if you are on, the, you know, what you, what, the helpful thing is to understand that on a soul evolution level, you needed this experience to happen to get to you to where you're going to now. And so you brought this situation into your life. And I'm not saying you were the, you know, sort of yeah. aggressive in the situation. You were protecting a woman that much is clear. So I'm not suggesting that, but this situation evolved from a deep soul place in you. And then, so you tackle it by, Look into the Ho'oponopono prayer, and I'm going to send you some information on it. But it is a very powerful prayer mantra out of Hawaii, and it's, I love you. Um, and you say this to the situation over and over again. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And you empower yourself by asking that situation to forgive you. You don't say this to any person or anyone betraying you or anyone that's been a Benedict Arnold in your life. You say it to the situation and you practice this mantra because what you want to do is expunge anger out of yourself as, as quickly as possible because once that is really lifted from you and anger is a spirit that's living in you and you're housing him and you're allowing him to be there, but so is forgiveness. So it's about inviting the spirit of forgiveness in and kicking the spirit of anger out because anger will destroy your life. I, I do believe you and, and please do send me that. And I got I do have to figure it out. You're right. You're right. One of the yeah. early one of the early bits of advice was um and it came from uh my good friend, you met him, Mark Smith, who runs the Poetry Slam stuff in Chicago. Um he said, um, he's like, Hey, the dinner table is for this too, Mark. Make sure you share all this with your family. Because I'm you know, I, I was gonna keep it to myself and fight. I'm like, What do you nah. mean? And he said, you know, nah. goes, when you have cancer, you, you share it. Nah, I'm going to no? disagree. Okay. Okay. Your woman doesn't want to hear you struggling. You got to be strong for her <laughs> and just take care of this with the Ho'oponopono prayer. It's like, you right. know, I mean, um, the nature of the man-woman relationship, in, in my opinion, isn't about like us going to them with our problems. 
unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's, I mean, she's, she's the strongest, one of the strongest people I know, and she's been remarkable through this, and she's been my touchstone for uh, the craziness and keeping centered. And, um, but you just have to make forgiveness a top priority in your life because you have to, and, and getting rid of anger as a top priority of, of your life. And you're not alone. Every single human being has to do that. We have to forgive that we can be forgiven. Otherwise, we're in misery and we're in our mind and life is hell. That's the way it's set up. We have to forgive. So you have to forgive and you have to and you have to cultivate that. You can't just expect it and you can't allow thoughts to keep telling you how badly you've been treated in this situation, though that might might be the case. It really doesn't matter. It's it's yeah. it's working on a muscle. Like I I work on forgiveness all the time. As soon as I feel any tinge of anger crop up, I'm like, that is poison. That's like, you know, not allowed here at all. You know what I mean? yeah and, and and i gotta figure out how to do more cool st stuff uh so that my friend joe arthur comes to chicago and we can sit in the box seats at wrigley field again with your buddy theo epstein and watch the cubs game and hang out dude with i need to get theo epstein and... on this on this tnt radio has, has he not been funny. on yet that guy loves you i should get him on he's like they, they pretty much made um what's that movie Moneyball? is that's about him basically right yeah, it's, he's one of those guys, yeah. And now he's back. He's an owner of the Boston uh, Red Sox. I'm going to look we, him up. I have his you know, email. I think you got his phone number. Cause I you do guys have were, his phone number. We were in the car. Good. We were in the car because we just got done with the XRT thing. You you were on XRT. You had a wonderful argument with one of the uh, hosts before you got on the Blue Cross stage, the live stage at XRT, saying that no radio station programs their own music anymore. And the guy's a, a Chicago legend, Marty Leonard. And he's like, no, we do. And you're like, no, you don't. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we do. And he did one of those. And then Lynn Bramer was supposed to be there, who recently passed away. Everybody's best friend in Chicago, Lynn Bramer from XRT. And he called us, and it was cold for the Cubs game. And he said, why are you guys going to the Cubs game? It's cold. And he said, hey, is Joe there? Can I get on the phone with Joe? Joe Arthur is my wife's favorite artist. And you got on the phone with Lynn Bramer from XRT and had a great conversation. And then you performed at City Winery either the next night or the next tour in. And, and Lynn Theo Bramer got up. Yeah. And Theo came out and talked to my publishing partner, Ron. They talked for about 15 minutes about your poetry. And, and Theo got a bunch of books. And and uh, he's like, hey. He bought a painting. He bought one of my paintings or a couple of them. They said that that drawing right. that you did in the box suite they kept up all year during their playoff run. That's crazy. All yeah. right, let me take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Mark Eleveld right after these words on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. So I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, because I'm doing a climate roundtable tomorrow. I'm assuming that the network that invited me on is probably the only network that's left around this part of the country that actually allows climate skeptics to be on. It'll be interesting because I'm sure there are going to be some people there to challenge me. In any case, when I walked into the hotel, the person at the front desk was from Adelaide, Australia, the city of churches. See, I learned something, right? And 
And I got to thinking that maybe tomorrow I will spring on the people that are there for almost unprecedented climate events that have occurred around Australia that are very, very important around the climate. Now, not directly with Australia, but north of Australia, the typhoon season, despite the fact that we supposedly had an El Nino going, was way, way below normal. Third lowest ever. That's very unusual. And that was the first hint that this El Nino wasn't what it was cracked up to be. As a matter of fact, the Southern Oscillation Index, which is the longest running metric of the El Nino, never got into El Nino category this year until now. But that was unprecedented when you had what we call the Oceanic Nino Index being so strong. That's two unprecedented things. Number three, the crash that is occurring in the Southern Oscillation Index is going to be the greatest on record from January to February. In fact, it may be the greatest on record from one month to another. It is unprecedented to see January with an above SOI and then February crashing the way this is. Now, in 1978, we had a weak El Nino going and then it crashed in February. By the way, they had all those floods in Los Angeles in 78. How about that? The fourth thing, the unprecedented warming of the ocean just to the east of Australia in a month or two. See that? Tonight's climate and weather watchdog was all about Australia. It's because I ran into someone from Adelaide. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastoni asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. My name's Stacy. I'm 57, and I was adopted in 2020. We were adopted in 2019. And we were adopted in 2021. We had a house, um, and it sounds crazy, but it wasn't a home. The one thing that Jake and Emma brought is it became a home. When I met Dakota, he had just turned 14. You weren't there for the first this and the first that. I missed the first words, but we got a lot of other firsts. I'm watching her say, oh my God, I cannot believe I got my license. And she's like, I passed. And I'm like, girl. <laughs> See them grow. It is. They chose to love us. They didn't have to. They chose us. Family. You and you. Kids in the middle. What I thought was a complete life was nowhere near complete. <laughs> but it is now. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit adoptuskids.org. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we're back with my good friend, Mark Eleveld, who is also just been uh, uh, tapped to write, to ghostwrite a book for a major Chicago political player. He cannot tell me who that is. I guess there's probably non-disclosures. And, you know, when you're a ghostwriter, you got to be a ghost. But he's allowing us to bring it up to this degree. And so, Mark, how does one become a ghostwriter? And... What are you doing? Going about writing a guy's life story and then it's going to say like his name on it. I mean, how does this work and how do you get this gonna, gig? Yeah, um, I, uh, I I had the good fortune of once meeting good friends and talented friends. I'm always the guy that's not afraid to do a handshake and make a phone call and propose a ridiculous idea. I'm shameless about that stuff because it's relatively good intentioned. Um, so I did ghostwrite a major 
uh, Hollywood guy's uh, memoir. Even gave him the title even. And then we were working on stuff. I was at a couple movie uh, sets with him. And he was touting me around as his biographer and such. And then I was... <laughs> I was eating dinner with my family in in Joliet, Illinois, and he calls me. He's like, "Hey," and we had been working on it for a while, and and there was some money exchanged and stuff. But he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go another way, Mark. But thanks for everything you've done." So, you know, I tried to talk him out of it a little bit, but I didn't put up too much of a fight because it's hard work. And then I saw he asked me about the guy who was going to. He actually, after he fired me, he asked me about the guy who was he's bringing in to do it. And he didn't fire me for any cause. I, I did a great job. He just, I don't know. He's kind of flaky. He's a good dude, but you know. Um, and so then the person they told me that was going to do it wrote a big essay for, I think it was the Atlantic, like six months later talking about how this movie star was the biggest flake that he's ever met in his life, which was kind of funny. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm dodging around names. That's not very good, but um, yeah, the process I'm friends with the chief of staff, for um the politician uh i've been talking to to my friend because he was a neighbor of mine i actually i taught his date his his daughter um and then uh he asked me because i had told him about the, the other thing a little bit and he's like hey uh i work with this politician they're interested in doing this so what do you think and so then I started talking to the politician, and it's a really long-lasting politician in Chicago, knows where all the bodies are buried, uh, was influential with the four Daily Brothers when they ran everything, um, on the phone call even today with all of the guys that run the city and all that kind of stuff. So the method that we put together, uh, I keep getting sent stuff you know, from the 1990s on. And so I'm I'm just cataloging everything right now, indexing everything right now. I'm finishing up my teaching assignment, and then June 1st, I'm all in. So it's going to be hanging out in the office, listening to stuff. I, you know, you, I I would love. I told the politician I'm going to be like the photojournalist on the stage with rock and roll stars that you don't even know I'm there. That's how good I'm going to be at this. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a lot of. The papers are at Loyola University, and there's thousands and thousands of boxes. So it's research, it's interviewing, it's writing, and then kind of setting a, a forward path. And what's interesting, too, and, and scary at the same time, is that um, I was told that I have to, I have to create the path. So um, she wants to tell me everything. And then I'm I have to tell her what to do with these stories. You just gave you just gave the game away of who it is, dude. <laughs> or he these days. You don't know, man. She he Oh whatever. my god. <laughs> I was doing well Listen, for a minute. Hey. <laughs> hey. So what's the so is the the purpose of it like just obviously to make money, sell books, but is there an intention behind the book is it supposed to be a memoir is it supposed to be sort of a, a a political does it have a political angle is there are you given marching orders on what you're supposed to do sorry um no it's it's these fabulous stories um it's a self-made person came out of very humble means and then reached to these great heights 
um, gets voted for like the biggest numbers of voting in in Chicago. So it's it's like how uh, Horatio Alger how 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 done good, and then um, she's seem very excited about some of the policies that she has done um, in order to make the city better, and she wants to detail those and how she went about doing them. And then she also it's reflective of some of the failures, which are manifold going on in uh, in the city today. So it's a it's little a bit mess of all that. there, though, isn't it? I mean, what do you think of living in Chicago? How dangerous is it? I mean, obviously, your troubles with your teaching job, you know, you sort of uh, illustrate that fact. But I mean, the gun violence is, is known around the world in Chicago. And I mean, how safe do you feel there? And what do you think is the uh the the reason behind the degradation of these blue cities in particular chicago he um so on my son's hockey team he's on a 16u travel team and they made it to the championship they're playing at the united center next sunday so a week from tomorrow um I, I, what is that date is it the 17th and on like the on the parents like band of of comments like there are texts um, we were talking about all the kids getting together for dinner beforehand or after. And then the first thing, because we're a little bit in the suburbs, um, but I consider myself a Chicago person, proudly. A Chicago person would yell at me. My wife is Chicago. She yells at me. She's like, no, you're suburbs. I'm I'm Chicago. But my point here is that um, in the in the text, it was sad because the parents are like, we're excited about going to the United Center where the Blackhawks play and the Bulls play there. But we will not be doing dinner in Chicago. There's no way in heck that we're going to have dinner with kids in Chicago. And it broke my heart because I was I left. Um, I was working on a podcast called Through the Mill on Poetry yesterday, and I was in the city at a beautiful studio. And I walk out, and I was thinking like, and it was a beautiful day. It was 50 degrees out, you know, in February. The sun's out. It's Chicago with the the skyline and everything. And I'm thinking to myself. How sad that the parents don't want to come to Chicago to eat. What? What? Who doesn't want to come to Chicago to eat? And no kidding, I get in my car, Joe, and as I'm getting in my car, some dude, uh, completely leather jacket, mittens on, so you couldn't see any skin, had a bird mask and a hat on, and was coming right at me. So I jump in my car, I turn the car and then gun it, and he's reaching for my door handle. This is yesterday. And I just, I zoom out as fast as I can. I've almost hit the guy, I think. And then I look in the mirror and he's still going through cars. He's he's going through every handle there. Um, and then you're, I got on 9094 out of the city. And on all of the big signs, it's graffiti everywhere. It's gang graffiti. And I thought to myself, I said this to my wife this morning, if I was the mayor and I'm driving down 9094 and I see the graffiti, isn't and it's gang graffiti. It's not artistic. It's it's their initials. You just gave you know? away who you're writing the book for again. No, 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 no. I said if I if I knew the mayor. I said if I was the mayor. I'm not. It's not the mayor's book. It's not the mayor's. Book. Okay. I said, okay. If you were the mayor's here, this is my point. If you're the mayor of Chicago and you're driving to your office on 9094 and you see all this graffiti, don't you make a phone call and it's gone in an hour? Yeah. Or is that listen, man? You uh, on the break? You just asked me like, am I done with, with with Brooklyn? I lived there for so long, Red Hook, Brooklyn. But I also was lastly in Cobble Hill and even in the East Village, living. You know, since I since I think I've talked to you last. But 
And the answer is uh, yes, I am done. I, I love New York. New, you know, the thing is, I lived in New York for 25 years, and so even if you move away when you go back, so it's so strange because you there's part of you that has still been living there. It's very odd. It's like no time has passed, and you're just dialed right back into it and maybe this will fade off after a bunch of years i've only been gone for i guess two years now but when i go there it's as it's the same as it ever was i mean not the city's not the same as it ever was but my feeling about being in the city is sort of the same as it ever was and i love visiting but the energy of it is not comfortable i don't love it i, I mean I used to really be energized by it and there's a vibe there but it does feel a little bit more aggressive and like what you're saying i don't it doesn't seem as aggressive as chicago um from what you're describing but i just don't want to be in big cities anymore man. Yeah. i mean you know even being in tempe and near phoenix i'm just like should i be more out in apache junction or something i mean just like humanity seems to be uh, going through some real, real crazy stuff. What's your take on that, man? Do you think the world is heading towards uh, uh, chaos and confusion? I don't really know what your political leanings are, but do you think that there's some sort of captured administration that's allowing this degradation of what was America? Um, and you're it, when you're when you're talking about New York, you're you're a creature of the nights. I, you're a guy that would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go for a ten mile run. Used to. Yeah, right. used to, but now, dude, I now because of my daughter, I wake up at five. I try to get up by five a.m., four thirty, even even yeah. four. Where when I write, I I'm a morning person completely now, dude. It's eight fifty seven here. Oh my god, this is almost over, and I will have some yogurt after this and go to bed. Like, dude, yeah. I'm an old. Like, I am not who you used to know, dude. Anyway, dude, happy, we're almost though. done with this. What, what? So, what do you? What? Answer quickly. What do you think about the? Uh, I'm a I'm a lifelong I'm a lifelong liberal Democrat. I always will be. One of the proudest moments of my life is President Obama calling me and asking me to come to the White House five five months after he was elected. I love diversity in all of its shapes and forms. I love humanity. I love people. I love different perspectives and ideas. But right now, all I feel is. Uh, in philosophy, it's Hobbes Leviathan. It's everything's power right now, and mm. and everyone's seizing opportunity for power. Nobody's thinking through a, a real idea very hard. Everyone's very uh, into themselves, not very self-reflected into themselves sort of thoughts. And it's what can I get? What can I get now? I am a victim. How do I uh, make money off of my victimhood? Um, do I talk? real and, and and think about truth is there is there an end to reading this book like do i get a grade for reading a book do i get monetary establishment for saying the right thing to the right person you know that's it's scary and and i don't feel a lot of authentic things going on in the world right now i think there's a lot of people that are um taking advantage of bad moments uh, to their own detriment they don't know it yet mm -hmm. but it is there's an ebb and flow and i hope for good things in the future you're the best, Mark. Uh, it's been a, pla a blast having you on the program and catching up with you again. Tell people where to find you if you want them to find you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Mark Elleveld at uh, EM. So it's Mark at EM-Press.com. 
All right, Mark. We'll have you back on, man. And uh, yeah, prepare for me to send you my book as soon as I get it punctuated, which is going to happen in the next few days. Uh, Thanks for coming on, man. I hope you enjoyed it. It's wonderful to talk to you. It's been fantastic. Thanks, Joe. Keep listening to TNT, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.